0: Welcome to the podcast where we talk to guests about five moments in their lives they'll never forget. This is Backstory with Steve Legg.
1: It's fabulous to have you with me today on the new show, where I bring together an incredible array of stars of stage and screen, stand-up comedians and magicians, writers and artists leaders and entrepreneurs to chat about the five significant times in their lives they'll never forget it's great to have you here so this is very exciting it's uh, mark gatis what a cv from the brilliant league of gentlemen sherlock and doctor who plus writing and directing mark what do you enjoy the most
2: um, well, to be honest, I enjoy having the chance to mix it up <laughs> which is which is how it should be i think i mean it's a you know sometimes uh, I've been writing quite a lot um since the end of last year, and then uh just just now've just been filming in Edinburgh with Stephen Reese from the league and on um on the sequel to good omens and it was just so nice to be out of the house <laughs> <laughs> I and also just you know just having a laugh and being together and and doing something different you know so that really the inevitably um the um the mixture is what you want the, the variety yeah. and uh sometimes uh, I have we I've normal years where um it really works where you, you know there's a lovely kind of mixture of of all different things and other times like so last year which I had a, was an amazing year for me I had the, the, the spookiest year I've ever had so I wrote and directed The Christmas Ghost Story for Boosie 2, The Mezzotint, in uh, February. And then I spent most of the rest of the year writing uh, and directing The Amazing Mr. Blunden for Sky. And then I did my then I was in my version of *The Christmas Carol on stage. So it, that was like a, I mean, fantastic, spooky year for me. But in terms of the actual breadth of stuff, I directed two things. Uh, I wrote all three of them. I was in two of them, you know. So that was kind of... Perfect. I me. Mean. in fact, I should just retire because it's never getting better.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask: Did lockdown make you more creative? Well, a bit of
2: both. I mean, uh, it was a, it was a, it was a game of two halves for me. The first half, I was complete. Well, everyone was just shocked, weren't we? And, and oh, was man, that yeah. weird feeling of like being. Um, everyone was in the same boat for a bit, which was quite interesting, uh, but also. That you know, I remember saying to Stephen Moffat, who, who knew that a global pandemic wasn't conducive to the muse. <laughs> you know, everybody thought they were going to write that novel, and then they just sat and stared into space because it was actually so frightening and weird. But then the second, and then the second half of it, um, I, I wrote a, a film which I've had in the back of my head for years, and I, don't, I honestly don't know if I'd ever have got round to it, I mean, COVID, and. That broke my block. I just did it because I wanted to, and mm. it was just for fun. And after that, it's been all right. So um, apart from World, you know, world War Three, everything's
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So is there anything you can't do? Because you seem very talented. Can you do DIY?
2: No, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't drive. I can't uh, play any musical instruments. I can't speak any foreign languages. The list is endless.
1: What about cookery?
2: <laughs> oh, no, hopeless. I have a... I have an anti-Midas touch. I can take the most (laughs) exotic ingredients and make them bland. It's a terrible curse, but I can't. I'm hopeless cook.
1: So what would your signature dish be, or is there not one?
2: I do actually, though, cook – I do like cooking a tagine. I've spent years trying to make that good. But, you know, I don't know if you have this. I literally throw spices into things. And then I taste them. It's like, this tastes no different. I don't know how to do that. (laughs) I I stuff them full of apricots, so they're very moist, and that seems to do the trick. But I do like those. But other than that, I'm I'm like beans on toast. That's my signature
1: dish. (laughs) Very very nourishing. So was English and drama your thing at school?
2: Yes, English drama and history, I would say, yeah, and art. um, And that, um, you know, it was a lifelong interest in... Language and storytelling. And uh, I remember I was given by Santa in, in Phoenix in Newcastle, because they used to visit it in those days, um, a, a copy of Great Expectations when I was five. I was obviously far too young to read it, but that was my Christmas. I still got it actually. It says on the spine, complete and unabridged. And um, <laughs> when I finally read it, when I was about 10, I suppose, I remember the getting to the twist. About who Pip's benefactor was, mm. and it, I felt like the earth had moved beneath my feet. It was so incredible to me that it wasn't what I expected was going to happen. I'm still not spoiling it, <laughs> and, uh, and it was. I remember thinking, then that that is amazing." I mean, the power of that story mm. to disconcert and and confound expectations. I remember thinking, then this is something," you know. I, but that was also hand in hand with an obsession with doctor who and all kinds of telly and anything spooky. And also that sort of way in, I, I mean, I've, we, I've just written this thing for the new Statesman for Michael Sheen, who's guest editing. And it, he asked me to write a thing about, about coming from a working class background and getting into show business like mm-hmm. he did. And I think it seems to me very, very important that you have to see, you have to be able to see a, a path for yourself. And that's why any kind of representation, whether it's whether it's racial or class based, is so important. If you don't see or hear yourself, you just think that's not for me. How could mm. I possibly do that? So I used to study the end credits of Doctor Who religiously, and I used to think, what what is that? What is a director? What's a producer? What's um, what's a script editor? And and how is I mean it never seemed possible that I could do that. But of course you can. It's just a state of mind. You just have to, and you just have to push back against those those perceived barriers for people like you. You know, so totally. That's how I got started. Yeah.
1: That's fascinating. It's interesting. You would talk about the book at the same sort of age because we are the same sort of age. I'm fifty five. I remember on a holiday with grandparents falling in love with the works of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Oh, um, good. And then was <laughs> devastated when I realised it wasn't real. Oh. <laughs>
2: I don't think I ever fell for that, but I do remember loving that thing that, they, that the Abbey National had a a special secretary who answered Sherlock Holmes' yes. letters because they would arrive. In fact, I hear this thing. No one ever did this, but a friend of mine once came up with an idea which I loved, which was about, I think it was like, he had something like Maureen Littman in mind, and it, it was to play that part. The woman at the Abbey National who answered Sherlock Holmes's letters, who also obviously solved crimes. It's rather good, isn't it? That's good. I like that. It is good. It's, it could still be done.
1: They it in the fifties or
2: something. That would be rather nice. But I'm going to do that now. Do Write you know, it right down. This
1: I would like a credit though, please, <laughs> because I feel I'm part of the you re- creative you process. You it, yeah. <laughs> I tell you what. Thinking of Doctor Who, obviously we think of Daleks and Cybermen, but I remember as a seven-year-old the giant maggots. Does that ring any bells oh, with you?
2: Are you kidding? It's my favourite ever story. You're joking. Dead. The Green Death, and we've in fact just lost uh, the lovely Stuart Bevan, the actor who played uh, Professor Cliff Jones, uh, thats the one that Joe leaves the doctor for at the end. I loved him. <laughs> <laughs> he just died suddenly. I love that, that story. It, it's everything to me. I think it's so, you know, looking back, it's fant- it's fantastically, you know, pro uh, proto-ecologically minded. Mm. People say that Doctor Who is very woke these days, and you think, look look at that. (laughs) That was about pollution and the destruction of the environment in 1973. And also it had giant maggots in it. What more could you want? (laughs) I love that one so much. Wonderful.
1: And you always felt kind of safe if the brigadier was around.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, you can't really, to those of us, you're exactly the same fetish, but for those of us who were there, that kind of family atmosphere and the doctor being that kind of it was like the grandfather you always wanted, you know, and the and the, the brigadier being an authority figure, but like a nice teacher, yeah. Because he wasn't, fr- you know, uh, it was just it was magic, really. I think it was magic, and there's something about that it never goes away. You know, sometimes I'll I'll just pop on an old story on a Saturday afternoon where it belongs. And it still sort of presses the same buttons for me, especially if it's dark outside and it's about quarter past five, you think, you know, I think I might have to watch the Curse of Peladon. And it still <laughs> makes me feel so kind of cozy, you yeah. know, and that's a that's a lovely feeling. It should, it's it's sort of underestimated, I think. I mean, not that nostalgia is underestimated because we we're driven by it. Everyone nothing's ever as good as it used to be mm-hmm. as far as anyone's concerned. But it's very powerful and in the right in the right way, it's good for you. In the wrong way, I think it produces everything we're living with now, which is this sort of crazed idea of that we are still a big, a great power and that we can wield influence in the world. And it's a sort of misplaced nostalgia, but Absolutely. when it's working for you, it, it's, it's just genuinely comforting and it, it's you know, Tom Baker tells this amazing story about he was once walking through Manchester or um, London and this homeless guy was just asking for change and then he just looked at him and said Doctor and and Tom looked at him and he said he could see in his eyes that he was he was seven years old again and his mum was making him beans on toast and everything was all right Mm. and he said he said get us out of here doctor
1: oh god wow wow (laughs) I do remember as a precocious seven or eight year old writing to the BBC complaining about Tom Baker because growing up with John Pertwee um, they were very different when Tom came along. And I, I did learn to love Tom, but he was very he different.
2: But, it, but I remember I was in proper mourning. I remember I, I had a Doctor Who friend at school who knew everything. And, um, and I said, can he not turn back? I was so, I was, I was in proper mourning. But, you know,
1: Tom, Tom
2: triumphed, didn't
1: he? So. <laughs> he did in the end. Um, Mark, do you remember your first day at drama school? Did you make friends and colleagues for life there?
2: Yes, yes, I do remember it very well. And I'm, I mean, I met Steve Pemberton the first day, uh, and uh, yes, we bonded straight away. I I, I think when we were laughing about this the other day that uh, um, we had to do very early on for some reason we had to do something where we had to put not well, like put masks on except they literally were paper plates. They were, it wasn't like a sort. We weren't sort of crafting. Italian um, sort of um, Canadian or something like that. They were just paper plates we had to draw a face on. And then we had to walk around the room with these like little smiles. <laughs> and I remember catching catching Steve's not catching his eye, just catching his plate, pa- paper plate face and thinking, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone else was taking you very seriously. And I could tell even behind the paper plate that he was laughing. And I thought, well,
1: <laughs> were your parents always supportive or did they encourage you to get a proper job
2: um they never you know tried to prevent anything i do remember doing um doing a, a version i was in a version of the zoo story the edward Arby play um uh, two-hander at a darlington art center the late lamented darlington art center when i was about 15 And i remember my dad my mum and dad came to that and my dad was very I think something changed then. He suddenly he thought I was very good, and something some, something altered where he thought maybe, maybe this is possible. And I remember that was quite a nice. That was a red letter day, and I didn't have to sort of keep, you know, trying to convince them. But then, you know, it was interesting. I I I left school. Uh, I took a year out, and then I, I auditioned for a couple of drama schools and didn't get in. And then I went to visit my old school teacher, drama teacher, and he recommended this place called Bretton Hall. And I replied there, and I got in. That's where I met Stephen Reese uh, and, and Jeremy Dyson, and, and that's where the league was formed. You know, so it's 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 so there's such a sliding doors quality to it. Everything mm-hmm. like that. You know, you, you, you can't. Sometimes you look back and think, Oh my God, that was really. And God, that happened. Thank God yes. that happened. Yeah. And It did. It, it's funny. That's how it goes, isn't it? This is Lieutenant Colombo, and you're listening to Steve Legg's Backstory
0: Podcast. The most fun you can have without a cigar and a trench coat. All right, I think I bothered you enough today. I'll let you go ahead and listen. Oh, one more thing. Enjoy the show. This is the Backstory Podcast. With Steve Legg and
1: friends. So, Mark Gates, I want to chat to you about the Road Dance. Now, I'm yeah. a big fan of action thrillers. I'm a diehard Mission Impossible, James Bond fan, and I heard about the Road Dance and I watched it, and I thought it was fabulous.
2: Oh, good, it is. It's lovely, isn't it? And it's not what you'd expect. I mean, I I, I said yes because they, the the script turned up in the middle of everything, middle of lockdown, and and it was um, first of all, I thought it was charming. A very, a very old-fashioned sort of drama, really. But, but particularly for me, I, I am absolute, an absolute sucker for anything set in the mystical Scottish islands. Uh, I know where I'm going. is one of my favourite movies, Whisky Galore, um, anything like that. And although this is, it's quite a grim story. There was, I just love that idea of it's, it's so, it's so north. It's almost Iceland, <laughs> and that. I thought it was just lovely and um uh, and it tur- as it turned out to be i mean it was quite a, quite a difficult shoot it's it's set in August we shot it in september october uh, and it it was freezing and the weather was wild but it give it it's there in the film I think the landscapes are stunning and um it was it's rather lovely isn't it I was a very i just i watched it on a on a screen uh, a couple of months ago and 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 I thought it was it come out really well. So I'm very, very proud of it.
1: Oh, I thought it was brilliant. I mean, it's a story of love and loss, birth and death, secrets and choices, yeah. all tied up in this bleak landscape and the culture of the Western Isles, which some call the edge of the world. I hadn't realised that.
2: That's right. Yes, Michael Powell, famously. It's, uh, it is. It is. It feels like it. It feels like it when, when you're there. I mean, I was just... So charmed, it was everything I hoped to be. I, my driver was this lovely man called Murdo. I think he had left the island once in his life, <laughs> and he. They, it is they've got this just incredibly lyrical kind of strange accent and beautiful, little, you know, lilting sort of accent. And and um, he said to me uh, one day, he said, Mark, do you mind if a if a photographer comes to, could, to take a photograph for the film?" And I said, oh, of course. And then this man turned up the next day, I think also called Murdo. (laughs) And he had this tiny old camera and he literally just went click. And he took a photograph. He didn't take loads. (laughs) It wasn't like the pap. He took a photograph. For the Island paper, and that was it. And I thought that's the most perfect. It's exactly what I Isn't hoped it, it would be. <laughs> it was like it was 19- It was like it was about nineteen hundred.
1: <laughs> was- 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 what else can you tell us about the plot? Because there's twists and turns in there. Can you give us a little bit more?
2: Well, Hermione Caulfield plays place girl who she's in love with Will Fletcher, and uh, he's obviously called up for the First World War and goes off to fight. And we hear uh, hear from him in, in letters. And then there's a there's a road dancer kind of Kaylee and uh, something bad happens to her and uh and she sort of has to live with the consequences while uh, he's away and then of course he's reported killed. And um that's why i say. And i play the doctor who has mm-hmm. to look after um, and um yeah, it was it was lovely. I mean, I was quite intimidated by there being so many genuine Scots in it like uh, like uh, more Christie and uh, I said um, I'm from a part of Scotland called Generica (laughs) I don't know if you know it Uh, that's where I'm coming from but uh, it was really lovely and it's so you know Lewis and Harris uh, if you ever get a chance it's breathtaking Mm. I mean you get nine seasons in a day but it's like nowhere else I've ever been it really feels like you're just absolutely at the edge of the world and it's stunning. And uh, I really am very, very grateful for the whole experience. Um, not least because I sort of missed the second lockdown by doing the film. I, I just escaped. And I was on a little plane flying there. And I thought, well, this is either like being in The Wicker Man or it's going <laughs> to be The Wicker Man. I can't quite tell
1: <laughs> Are there any parts of that lifestyle that you'd swap your own for?
2: I don't know. I, You know, the thing... Um, I think we've all come out of this different, haven't we? The, not that it's over. Um, it's just we're just pretending it is. But yeah. um, it's. Uh, I think we've all sort of recalibrated and thought about what's important and who the people in our lives that we should need to keep in touch with more, and also to to get off the treadmill more. And you know, I was talking to a friend the other day who uh, said they're under huge pressure to get back into the office, and, and yet everyone is everyone knows that they're actually more productive at home and also probably somewhere between the two is good you know it's not good to just stay in, in, at home all the time but maybe half the week in an office is not a bad compromise I think something's shifted and the re- the rest of the world is sort of catching up with it I think we need to rethink how we do these things sure because we've had this we've had this unexpected pause and when you know the, at the height of it it was it was like nothing else. Any of us would ever experience that side of fiction, was it? I mean, you know, the, the skies cleared, mm. the, the Venice lagoons had dolphins. It was amazing. And and it was like the whole world stopped. It, it was like a sci fi story, wasn't it? And, it certainly was. Um, yeah.
1: You were a wonderful Dr. McLean. A great bedside man, if you don't mind me saying so, Mark. Oh, thank
2: you very much. Well, my mum would have been pleased. She always wanted me to be a doctor. <laughs> <Did she? laughs>
1: And yeah, um, yeah. road dance—I'd never heard that expression before.
2: No me, no me. I, I think it may be particular to the islands. I'm not sure, but uh, I was—I was, uh, I was uh, actually the only the, my only doubt about doing it was <laughs> I'm—I can't—I cannot dance. I'm Join totally dis—I'm totally <laughs> dyspraxic. And I, if there's one word guaranteed to send the chills through my soul, it is Kaylee I hate them, and so. I thought, well, I want to do this, but I've got to find a way of, of not letting this sort of dominate my mind. And it even had on the call sheet, there were like, there was like a Caley expert and all this. And weirdly, what happened was I just did it. I yeah. never had a single lesson. I just, we just, me and Hermione just danced around, mostly because the weather was so wild. There was literally no time to learn anything. But I think it, came, it comes off quite nicely.
1: <laughs> do you know what? You were throwing out some great moves there.
2: There we are. You see, a triumph for dyspraxics <laughs> everywhere.
1: So will you be throwing a hat into the ring of uh, Strictly next next season?
2: No, I have <laughs> been asked. I've been asked that they've given up now. I, I, I don't that no, that's, just, that's, a, that's a humiliation too far <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> you'd be great um and it, it was lovely seeing jeff stewart um who of course reg hollis from the bill amongst yes. other things i got some yes. pals who who, uh, who were cast members on the bill and they said he was an eccentric character who always worked better with his shoes off in his stocking feet did you notice that on Obviously, set i didn't know well,
2: no, i met him only briefly um at uh in literally when I was having my uh makeup test, uh because we never had anything together, you know, in that way. You know, I was I was up and down and then uh there's a guy called Jimmy Yule who plays the old doctor and he was there he had like about three days in the film, but because of COVID he was basically there for about eight weeks. No. He just arrived, <laughs> filmed, stayed and waited, you know, and uh, it had that same it was all part of the, the same feel. The great joy of it the, above everything for me was that I wore Stanley Baxter's toupee. And I was <laughs> given I was given it at the end of the shoot by Christine Kahn, the makeup designer. And I stood it's now my toupee of choice. I I worn I wore it twice since already. Great. <laughs> <laughs>
1: we went that's like, having, <laughs>
2: that's like having the crown passed to you.
1: Oh Mark. <laughs> That is brilliant. Thank you so much. The Road Dance, what a movie. It's a film where stark and tragic scenes unfold, yet there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Mark, just last question. Do you think there's some comparisons to be made for the last couple of challenging years with COVID and lockdowns?
2: Yes, I do. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's very hard. We've had no respite. Uh, the, the, you know, the, uh, Pestilence is literally just getting off its saddle and, War rides into town and says, "I'll take it from here." <laughs> 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 but the other thing, which is weird, is that of course there's been no VE Day, as it were, for mm. COVID. There's been no line drawn. It, just for political expedience, we have to. We now have to get on with it. And I now know, anecdotally, more people have got it than they have ever had it. My partner just—I'm literally here—and he messaged me this morning with a picture saying, "I've just tested positive." He's avoided it for two years. Mm. He's now got it. But hopefully, obviously. It's now just like having a bad cold and, and, and sort of childish. You know, it's like the abandonment of what government is supposed to be, which is which is properly altruistic. It's just like, it's like every man for himself and that, that can't be right, can it? Mm. But I think in terms of finding light in the darkness, yes. Um, it's It's been a very strange time and then, we're, you know, it's 10 years since the Olympics and I feel like we were a very different country then. You know, we were... Everything did feel generally like we were moving forward. Yeah. It's been a dark time, not not entirely, obviously, but the last certainly the last five or six years it's been very strange, and we're not out of it yet. It's, um, but I think you've just got to you've got to find the joy where you can and be kind of stoical about things and think about what what you can do and what you can affect genuinely um, yourself without without your, you know, losing your mind to too much information. And I, I've come off Twitter and all sorts of things because, because it's just too much stuff. It's good and bad, mostly bad. Yeah, you're you, right. I don't think anyone's brain is meant to process that amount of stuff every day. And you just literally sit there doom scrolling and thinking that there's no point in anything. And then suddenly you look, you, you lift up your eyes and realize it's actually a beautiful spring day and it's okay. Yeah. At least you know, for now you you just you just have to live in the moment, I think
1: all do. Mark, that's brilliant. Thank you so much. Will we ever see Thank you God. as Q in Bond? You'd be a great well, Q.
2: I, I wait I wait the call. You know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'll call Barbara Ben's once not, we're done here.
2: <laughs> Ben's not out of a job yet, if I hope. He He's very good, um, isn't
1: he? But Desmond Llewellyn, what a Q for so many years. Yeah.
2: Interesting what, they, what they'll do now though, that intrigues me because I think they need to me. I think that what Bond always does well is is respond to the tenor of the times. The times are so dark, I think what we need is a bit more rotch. I mm. think we need to have some fun. It doesn't have to be silly, it just it, I think it needs to be a bit more fun because we are surrounded by people like Elon Musk who are almost consciously like Bond women. So we have <laughs> yes. to find somewhere somewhere new to go i think and i, I don't think there should it'll be fatal to try and put someone else in the daniel craig movie you know that those are his films and that's his style and mm-hmm. i think i think the pendulum should swing somewhere else now
1: i love yeah. it mark <laughs> thank you so much there he is Mark Gatis. My pleasure.
0: thank you you're listening to the backstory podcast with steve leg and friends sit back relax and enjoy the memories in the latest bumper edition of Sorted Magazine big name exclusive interviews Hollywood A-listers TV adventurer Bear Grylls inspirational true life stories adrenaline-fueled sports features all this plus gadgets entertainment, motoring, movies and technology plus probably the greatest team of Christian writers ever assembled available now from high street retailers nationwide or visit SortedMag.com Sorted for men for life You're listening to the Backstory Podcast, where we remember the good times, the things you love, the things you are, the things you never want to lose.
1: So there we go. Thanks so much for listening right to the very end. It'd be great if you can do me a quick favour before you go. Simply head over to wherever you get your podcasts and rate us five stars and leave a glowing review too. It really does make a massive difference. Then quite simply, we shoot up the charts, more people listen, and it really is happy days. Thanks a million.
0: You've been listening to the Backstory Podcast with Steve Legg and friends. Catch you next time.